Well, hey, during this series, I'm pointing out some stuff that does and should make all of us a little uncomfortable. Some of you are thinking, and maybe even have said, that uh, this is a political issue and it should be left alone. And I'm going to admit to you that it is a political issue, it's a government issue, but who governs us and creates our laws but ourselves? We do. You, me, my neighbors, one day my kids, one day your kids. So yes, it's a political issue. All laws are an attempt to legislate morality. And if the Bible and our Christian faith do not intersect our politics, then why pretend being a follower of Jesus? Our Constitution says we, the people. Well, we are the people. And as a Jesus follower, our faith should impact our lives and how we love and how we vote. Listen, today I'm going to make everyone a little mad, okay? So go ahead and get your mad meters ready and you can email me or text me or tweet me or whatever. But I'm going to make all of you a little mad because here's what I want you to get. As a Christ follower... Our faith should impact our understanding of at least four major issues that are divisive in our culture today. One is obviously racial injustice, but also pro-life. Our concern for the poor and the downtrodden. And also that sexuality is best when it's experienced between a man and a woman in the context of marriage. So that tells us you can't be Republican, you can't be Democrat. We are, as followers of Jesus, neither of those, our allegiance is to the kingdom of God. So therefore, this is a political issue. But even more than that, it's a faith and heart transformation issue. So that means for all of us, if we're followers of Jesus, it's extremely, or it should be, Difficult for us and extremely difficult for us to sit comfortably in any political party. I told you, you're going to be a little mad. I know. But as we continue this idea of colorblind, I want you to grasp this. This idea of colorblind is that we should notice different people of different ethnicities. Because different ethnicities bring something of great worth and value and beauty to us. As a community, when we gather together, the different ethnicities, we bring different things. Listen, I love different types of food, and I love that God has created different ethnicities, and we get to experience the flavor of different parts of the world and ethnic people. This idea of colorblind is the idea that we're unable to distinguish certain colors. But let's be honest, when we truly do life with one another, we recognize that if you're white and someone is black, you recognize that is it is dishonest to not recognize it. If you see someone that is Indian, you have to recognize it. It's something that you see and you understand. And to be colorblind is to lie to ourselves. God created us distinctively different and unique for a purpose so that we can see the beauty and the majesty and the the massiveness of who God is. As that each one of us is created in the image of God. And if that is true, then, then look at the image of God and the beauty of it and the variety in it. So for us to be colorblind is to not be true. But the other part of that 
is to be colorblind, is to not be influenced by any racial prejudice. To not allow the things of seeing someone different and to jump into and think because they're different from us that that's wrong. That's a lie as well. The beauty of someone else that's different is is that God doesn't make mistakes. He makes each one of us unique and beautiful creations, masterpieces, one and the same. Here's a true or false question for you. God did not create multiple races. There's just one race, the human race. That's true, but false. God created one race to, to look and feel and think and act and have a soul and have the ability to have a relationship with him, but he's created variety. Variety is the spice of life. Let's enjoy it and experience what God has before us. What I want us to think about this morning is this idea of being colorblind and that God doesn't want us to not acknowledge that there's a variety of ethnicities, but to acknowledge the variety of ethnicities and to learn from them. As a matter of fact, the variety of ethnicities, we even see them throughout Scripture, and it's a part of the story of God. As a matter of fact, God distinguishes Jews from everyone else. And that the reason that God distinguishes the ethnicity of Jews is so that He can show Himself glory. So that people will look at the Jewish people and see how distinctive they are from the rest of the world and say, I want to know Yahweh because of these people. And the same is true for us as followers of Jesus. That once we were Gentiles, now we are brought into the family of God through Christ's sacrifice on the cross. And now we get to experience the opportunity as his children to bring glory to him. That's the reason we should be distinctive as followers of Christ from the rest of the world. We should be salt and we should be light because our goal, our desire is to bring glory to our Father, to bring glory to God. And then when people see us, they see something distinctive in us. And the distinctiveness of us is that it has nothing to do with the color of our skin, but it has to do with the heart and a mind and a soul and eyes that are transformed. And we're about the glory of God, not our own. Now, that's the constant struggle that we're in, but our desire is to bring glory to God. So this idea of colorblindness, the first thing that I want you to grasp is this. Colorblindness downplays the ethnicity of the Old Testament stories. Joseph was a Jew, but he was the second highest official in Egypt. Moses was a Jew, and he was caught between his Jewish heritage and his Egyptian upbringing. And and you see the struggle for him in that. Esther was a Jew that was placed in a high place, high office within the land that she was in. And because of that, she was able to prevent a Jewish genocide. Ruth, who was born a Moabite, married into a Jewish family and got to experience this idea of kinsman redeemer because she married into a Jewish family family. Rahab, who was not a Jew, had her faith in Yahweh credited to her as righteousness as she was brought into the Jewish family circle because she expressed faith in Yahweh and helped the Jewish people find freedom. Daniel is a Jew that rose in leadership in Babylon and 
all throughout his rise, even as a young man, he was known for his faith. He was distinctive. He and his friends were distinctively known because of their faith, that they would not bow down to the, to the other gods, the Babylonian gods. They would only bow down and worship Yahweh. Colorblindness downplays the ethnicity of the Old Testament stories, but it also downplays the incarnation of Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Lamb of God, the Waymaker, came to earth as a Jew. Jesus' incarnation was and is bigger than his ethnicity, but he was a Jew. That was a necessary part of the story of salvation for all of us. Even if you look in Matthew, the very first part of Matthew, the story is in Matthew 1.1, the lineage of the Messiah. Why is that important? Because it needed to show that Jesus, the Messiah, the Jew, was born in the house of David and the lineage along the way to show that he could line up and possibly be and meet the requirements of prophecy to be salvation for us, the Lamb of God. The Messiah was born in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 because of the lineage And the 17 verses before that. He was born of the house of David, raised a devout Jew, called a rabbi. Everyone that saw Jesus recognized him as a Jew. The Samaritan woman, the religious leaders, the disciples, even Pilate at his death, put up king of the Jews. Because his ethnicity was right there in front of him. There was no doubt that Jesus was a Jew. Jesus' ethnicity mattered. It was part of the plan of salvation. It was clearly a part of God's roadmap for salvation for us. And anyone outside of the Jewish ethnicity was, is, was, will be always a Gentile. But because of Jew, Jewish, Jesus and his Jewishness, it allows us to have a relationship with God the Father through him and what he did on the cross. So colorblindness downplays the stories of the Old Testament. Colorblindness downplays the diversity of the incarnation of Jesus. Also, colorblindness downplays the diversity of the early church. If you look at the early church, we see that it was a diverse group of people. And I think that it was a reason that it was a diverse group of people was because early on, that the very first thing that Jesus commanded his disciples to do as he's leaving them, We see in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 and 19. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority and in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, all ethnos, all ethnicities, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile, Now, because of all of what Jesus did, all of us have a chance to have faith credited to us as righteousness and the ability then to become children of Abraham. I don't know if you grew up in church and you you got to sing that song, Father Abraham. Okay, I won't sing. But that's what it is. That's the truth of is that because of Jesus and his, his ethnicity, And his sacrifice on the cross, all of us that believe upon that for our salvation, in that moment, one would become a child of God, but also would become a child of Abraham. We are of the faith 
lineage of him. That's why we can sing that song. Father Abraham had many sons and daughters. Ethnicity matters. In Acts chapter 2, we see a multi-ethnic gathering of people coming together as the church begins to explode. When Pentecost happens, it's a multi-ethnic gathering of people. In Acts chapter 6, we even see the first struggles of this diverse body because in Acts chapter 6, the Greek widows acknowledge that they're being ignored, that that the Jewish widows are getting preference over those that aren't Jews. And in Acts chapter 8, we even begin to see it in the mission work is that Samaria is reached and an Ethiopian eunuch is reached and he goes to Ethiopia. And and we can still to this day see the results of that encounter with the Ethiopian eunuch and the strength of the Ethiopian Christian church because of that one man. In Acts chapter 10, Peter confirms that the good news of Jesus Christ is for all, even Gentiles. Peter has to sit down at a table with with Cornelius and in the midst of that God has revealed that if I've made anything unclean, that's an issue. Peter in that moment realizes that God's saying to him that anything that he's created is pure and clean and he can sit down at the table with anyone and that that means that the good news of Jesus Christ is for all. In Acts chapter 13, we see the look at the Antioch church. And at the Antioch church, it is a diverse ethnic group of leaders. And this group of leaders are the ones that send out Barnabas, and they're the ones that send out Paul, and that missions go out from this church. And this church has multi-ethnic leadership. And they're about reaching the ends of the earth. That's their call. And even Paul's mission, who was a, the Jew of Jews, who had actually been pursuing Christians and putting them to death, Paul's mission that God specifically gave him was to reach the Gentiles with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul, his missionary method is any time that he would enter into a town, he would go to the temple first and he would share the good news of Jesus and he would illustrate and help people illuminate the fact that everything about the Old Testament, everything that they'd been studying in the temple led to and showed them and lit up that this person, Jesus, was the Messiah. And people would become followers. And from that, he would go from house to house and set up house churches in that town. And so there were Jewish people and then Gentiles would come to know Christ as well. And so the very beginning, Paul's mission was to draw the Jewish people and to draw Gentiles together into faith and to doing life together in Christ Jesus. As Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 3, that we are now robed up with Christ. We wear the same jersey in Christ. Colorblindness downplays ethnicity in the early church. Colorblindness also downplays God's celebration of the ethnic diversity and the variety with which he created mankind. Look at Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 and 10, and we see that many people, men, women, children of all different ethnicities are gathered around the throne of God and saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That the worship that God sees and imagines and knows 
is of multi-ethnic people groups coming together because they've gone to all of the nations, baptizing them in the name of Jesus Christ. And that they're gathered around the throne of God and Jesus is there and everyone is worshiping together. And they look out and they see red, yellow, black, and white. Everything in between because the nations have been reached with the good news of Jesus Christ. And colorblindness downplays the variety and the beauty of God's creation. A peek into heaven shows us the beauty of what God has created and what He looks for for even us here today. Colorblindness also downplays the role of our sin. Our sin, our personal sin. If you have your Bibles, look with me to Romans chapter 6, verses 5 and 14. And if you don't, we'll show it here on the screens. In Romans chapter 6, verses 5 through 14, it says this. Since we've been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that the sin might lose its power in our lives and we are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. In other words, if you are a follower of him, that the old self, the old ways have died and are gone and now you are living a new life. You are a new creation and a new person. So what does that mean for us? That means scripturally it tells us that we have a new heart. The old heart that was cold and calloused and literally that you couldn't, the blood couldn't flow through it properly. Now we have a new heart. We have new eyes. We have a new mind. In other words, when we see things because we are dead it's an old way in sin and made new and alive in Christ. We see things, we interpret things, we have compassion, and we feel we care for things. Why? Because we're about the glory of God and not about our own convenience and not about the things that maybe we've been taught and raised up in and that we see something different from us and because it's different from us or smells different, whatever, that we think that that is bad or wrong or something's wrong with them. And we have this us-them language. And here what Jesus is telling us is that is our old sinful nature. That when we don't look upon someone and we see a unique creation of God, the variety of the spice of life and the opportunity to get to know and to experience the fullness of God, then that's our old sinful ways. You're made new and alive in Christ. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to your sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. That means your mouth. That means your Facebook. Your Instagram. Your Snapchat. All those different things that you feel safe in a moment to spout things that are not of God. That says do not let them be an instrument to serve evil. 
Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead and now you have a new life. The filter with which we should live life is, does this bring glory to God or not? And if the answer is, I don't know, then maybe we shouldn't say it. Maybe we should step away from it and pray about it and get an answer before we post it or before we spout it. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Color blindness recognizes the variety of life and says we have an opportunity to do what is right. Allow our mind, allow our eyes, allow our hearts to be instruments for bringing glory to God and pointing people to Jesus, that they might see that as followers of Jesus, that there's something distinctive about our eyes, the way that we see the world, that they would look at us and they would see that there's something distinctive about us as followers of Jesus that shows that our hearts are different. The way that we show empathy, that we literally get into someone else's skin or to someone else's shoes and to walk a mile in their experience as best as we can possibly do. Because our desire is to understand and to listen and to know. Because we want to have the eyes of Jesus. It's not about right or left or heritage or anything. It's about us stepping into the shoes of our neighbors and saying, how can I love you? Sin no longer is your master. For you no longer live under the requirements of law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. You have an opportunity to experience freedom in Christ. A verse that we've been looking at over the last few weeks, I want to draw your attention to again in Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 and following. It says, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. In other words, we're wearing the same jersey, right? Because of our relationship with Jesus. And all have you been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ. Like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are true children of Abraham. Again, there's our song, Father Abraham, because of what Christ did for us. You are his heirs, and God's promise belongs of Abraham belongs to you. In other words, no matter what skin tone, if you've said yes to Jesus, you are an heir to the promise of Abraham. You are an heir to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Messiah. You are an heir to the promises of God. Finally, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17. I think this is a powerful verse. It says this, So we stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. In other words, because... My desire is, as a follower of Jesus, to be salt and light and have a transformed heart and to bring glory to God himself. I see things differently. It reminds me of that passage where Jesus was on his way down in Jerusalem and he knew what was coming up over the next week or so. And he began to weep over the city of Jerusalem, not because of what was going to be happened, but because they didn't understand who he was. 
and what they were missing out on. The same is true for us is that we need to stop evaluating each other from a human point of view. Now, I know that much of what we do is to build up our own image, and so we wear certain clothes, and we drive certain cars, and we do certain things. We put certain filters on our life because we want people to see us from a certain perspective or point of view. But what God is telling to us is we should now begin to see people with a different perspective because we have new eyes and a new heart and a new mind. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, but how differently we know him now. And this know is that experiential, it's not just head knowledge, but we know him because we've experienced him, we've experienced his grace, we've experienced his mercy, we've experienced what it means to, to be looked upon differently from a different point of view. And therefore we can hand that view off to others. We can see people with the eyes of Jesus. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. And it's all about the glory of God. So that's our challenge over these past few weeks and specifically today is that as colorblind, we are to see each other and the uniqueness with which God made us. And that we shouldn't lie or be dishonest and say, hey, I recognize that this person is different from me. But to jump into that and say, hey, God's made you different. What is unique about you? What is beautiful about you? What do you bring to the table that I don't bring? How can I experience a little bit more of the fullness of who God is by enjoying a conversation with you, by enjoying your food, by enjoying just doing life together with people that are different from us? Is it wrong? It's actually better. Because we experience the fullness of who God is. The old is gone. The old mindset, the old ways, the ways of thinking. And may your heart and your mind and your soul and your eyes have a new perspective. There's no longer Greek or Jew or slave or free or male or female. We are all made in the image of God. And that we have an opportunity to have a relationship with Jesus that makes us distinctively different from the rest of the world because we see people the way God sees them. And God weeps over his children. He cares deeply for his children. God does not make junk. He makes unique, one-of-a-kind masterpieces. That's even you. You may not believe it, but even you are a unique, one-of-a-kind masterpiece. Quit selling yourself out and quit selling everything else out that God's made. Enjoy the beauty that God has created. So what can you do with this? First thing is continue to pray. Set your alarms for 7.14 a.m. and 7.14 p.m. And begin to just say, hey, God, I want you to heal my land. Father, that as I stop in these moments, that that's my prayer request. Would you heal my land and would you remind me that I am a new creation in Christ 
And I need to be able to see differently. I need to be able to think differently. I need to be able to hear differently. I want to have your ears, your eyes. I want to step into other people's situations so that I can draw them to Jesus Christ. But it starts here. It starts with healing my land so that healing can happen within the land that I live. Maybe for some of you, you need to fast. You need to get away from media for a little bit. You need to, maybe you need to get away from food for a little bit. Something to disrupt your normal. Not that it's already not disrupted, but to disrupt, to disrupt your normal whatever so you can stop and just focus for a little bit, not on yourselves, but on others. And on the things that are disrupting our culture and our life right now for the good, how can we begin to pray about it and think about it and have God's eyes? In God's heart. Sometimes the best way to do that is to give up food or to give up meat eat or give up something so that it draws our heart's attention for more than just a second to a necessary thing for us to pray about and to think about and how as followers of Jesus we can be distinctively salt and light in our culture. And then finally, begin to think about, begin to read, begin to study, begin to ask, begin to sit down and to ask the questions of yourself and all your neighbors and ask, how can I be empathetic? How can I step into the shoes? How can I literally put on the skin of my neighbor that is different from me and as best as possible walk a mile in their shoes? No, walk two miles in their shoes, as Jesus says, so that I can begin to understand how they see the world, how they view the world, and how our culture has impacted them and keeps them from certain things, and how I can be a part of the answer to truth and justice for all. And let me tell you, it's going to be inconvenient. You might lose some friends. You might have some family think you're crazy. But listen, even Jesus told a man, let your dad bury the dead. Let your family bury the bed. It's going to cost you something to follow me. And here's what I believe, church, is this is a critical juncture for us as followers of, just followers of Jesus to be distinctive, to be salt and light in a world that is crying out for justice. They're crying out for grace. They're crying out for mercy. They're crying out for something. And here's what I can tell you. As followers of Jesus, you have it. You have the answer. And the answer is Jesus. So step into that responsibility. Step into that chance that you have to be salt and light and to see lives and minds and hearts transformed because of the way that we seek out bringing glory to God as followers of Jesus. The old is gone. The new is here. Let's live in the new. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for a new mind and a new heart and a new soul. Father, may you grant us your eyes. May you do a heart transformation on us. Father, may you go in with a stint and clear those valves. Do whatever you need to do to bring freshness of heart and remove this heart of stone and to give us a new cornea transplant, to give us new eyes, to just let us understand that the old is gone and the new is here. 
and that we have an opportunity and a responsibility as followers of Jesus to bring glory to you and in our, in our desire to bring glory to you that we will be salt and light and that people will come to know you and to experience you. And that if just one says yes to Jesus, because we've done the inconvenient thing and to step into the shoes of our neighbors to understand where they're at and what they're thinking and what they're feeling, then it's all worth it. Father, may you be brought glory and honor through our lives. It's in your Son's name that we pray.